Hello, friends. It is episode 104 of the Our Weekly Highlights podcast. It is right in the thick of the holiday season, so I hope all of you are enjoying your either time offs from office or just enjoying time with family. But hey, we're here to give you a little R-flavored entertainment for the next few minutes. My name is Eric Nance, and I am, as always, joined by my awesome co-host, Mike Thomas. Mike, how are you doing this fine day? I'm doing great, Eric. I'm doing uh, better than you by the by the looks of it, but we don't have any video for, for the audience. And uh, it's it's a function of having young kids during uh, flu and cold season. So just for everybody out there, you know, I was sick a couple of weeks ago and, and Eric's sick now this week, but we still power through uh, because that's what that's what we do for you. Oh, yes, it is all for you, the listeners. And yes, it is a season of giving, but I didn't want to have this be given in my house. But yes, you can't you can't control all that. But hey, my voice is still working for the next few minutes, so we're going to make it work here. And uh, oh, yeah, let me check my notes here real quick, Mike. Who's the curator? Him again? He's still here? Ah, uh, yes, it is me. It is me. Uh-oh. I was a curator this week before all this uh, flu stuff set in. So at least I got the issue out in one piece. But, um, of course, I can't do any of my curation duties without the tremendous help of our our weekly team who make it so much easier to automate a few of the things at least and grab the awesome links that you all send via PRs and the RSS feeds. And it's always a lot of fun to um, put all this together. So my big thanks to our curator team and contributors like you all around the world for making issue 2022 week 50 happen. So let's get right into it. So when we utilize a major web service that, you know, doesn't have an upfront monetary cost, well, I think it's become more common now, especially in today's world, that the currency in this case may not be so much, you know, fiscal dollars, it's our data. And the hope is that the service will be good stewards of our data and and the future directions of the platform are aligned with our principles, at the very least. Having the ability to grab the data from these walls of the service for our own archival and perhaps even analysis purposes can at least give us a little peace of mind. So if you've been following the tech sector, you likely know now that Elon Musk has recently purchased Twitter. And my goodness, the discourse around this has been strong, to say the very least. Hence, it is a great timing here that in our first highlight, Garrick Aiden Bowie, who is a data science educator and developer at Posit, has authored a fantastic blog post on how you can unleash your R skills onto your own Twitter data archive for our first highlight here. Now, there's a lot to this data wrangling and visualization adventure, so we're going to cover like the major points here, but we won't be able to do the post justice. You'll definitely want to look at it. And we're going to start with what can be a perplexing issue with file data formats. Now, the good news is the data are JSON format. Now, anybody that's developed web stuff like via APIs or even done things with Shiny, JSON's a pretty comfortable format to deal with. Now, these files, on the other hand, have a rather strange declaration at the top for assigning objects in a namespace that's browser-related. That makes no sense even when I say it. But this is the case where Data's not always perfect, right? So Garrick writes some nice utility functions to clean all this stuff up and then makes it reusable so that he can use a very nice, you know, pipe-like workflow that's been made famous by the Tidyverse uh, family of packages 
And those handy processing functions are included throughout the blog post. So you can just take those and run with it for your own Twitter archive. Of course, that's just half the battle, so to speak, right? Once you're able to get the data into R, then he has some additional functions to get it into a tidy, you know, tabular format. We're dealing with things like nested list again and other, you know, minor hierarchical complications. But again, great use of the per package and others in the family of the tidyverse to make the processing, once you figure it out, quite elegant to get through. Now, after the data are assembled, it's time for another visit to the ggplot2 corner. And not only do these plots utilize a fun custom theme for the blog post, gives me a kind of like a, kind of like a sci-fi techie vibe. It's a really cool theme here. But these plots are interactive, folks, using custom tooltips that are powered by David Gohel's GGIRAF package. This is one of those cases where Mike and I are not sure how to pronounce a package name. So, David, if you are listening and you want to make corrections, you know how to find us. We'll tell you later in the episode. You say GGIRAF, I'll say GGIRAF, and, and one of us will be right. That's right. Cover all the bases. Let's cover our bases here, shall we? Yeah. No one makes it easy for us to pronounce these things here. But anyway, the, the first display that Garrick makes is uh, tweets per month which reveal a few insights into Garrick's usage based on key events in his life, which I can definitely resonate with. And then in another plot, we see what looks to be a pretty neat log linear relationship between his popular tweets based on retweets and likes, which was kind of fascinating. He personally is, is thankful that the tweets he has that get a lot of likes are the ones that kind of make him feel good on the inside, so to speak, that he's sharing something useful out there. But this blog post has so much more. There's other little nuggets here that are definitely insightful because this data archive from Twitter gives you a lot more than just things about retweets and likes, Mike. So why don't you take us through some of the things you found in the post here? Absolutely. Uh, one thing that I really loved um, is David's or Garrick's use of polar area diagrams. They're a chart type that I very rarely use uh, because I feel like it, it's not often that I have data that lends itself well to that type of chart. However, in the blog post, Garrett creates absolutely stunning polar area diagrams to show sort of a histogram of the time of day that he tweets faceted by the day of the week. So there's a separate plot for each day of the week and the, the length of sort of the slice of pie in these polar area diagrams represents uh, how many tweets he typically tweeted out during that particular time of day. Um, another thing that really stood out to me are his use of tooltips along all of these charts. And I think that's something that the G Giraffe package <laughs> does very well um, with just a little bit of HTML uh, formatting that you can see in his code that he uh, puts alongside the plots in this blog, which is Really nice because if you're like me, um, some of these other interactive visualization packages really only allow you to create custom tooltips via JavaScript and you're not super comfortable with JavaScript yet or as comfortable as you would like to be and you're much more comfortable with HTML. Um, it's nice to have that option to create these beautiful tooltips and include uh, HTML that he sort of just glues together um, in these particular G giraffe uh, plots, which is really nice. And one place that his, these really nice HTML tooltips shine 
is in Garrick's analysis of the Twitter advertising information. This is data that I didn't even know we could get from the Twitter API, data around promoted tweets or ads that have been shown to us on our timeline. And Garrick puts this information together in this really nice uh, horizontal bar plot where he, he shows the ad interactions by advertiser. So in his case, Prime Video was the advertiser that showed up on his timeline the most. Um, it had 91 promoted tweet impressions, and then uh, Prime Video had 92 promoted tweet engagements. Um, and, and he has sort of these bulleted lists under each tooltip that show sort of exactly the different engagements or the top five um, engagements related to that particular advertiser for each bar on the chart, which include Apple TV Plus, uh, Action Network. It looks like a lot of TV advertisers, but he's also got Microsoft, yeah, uh, PNC Bank. So I, I thought that that was really interesting that that is data that we actually have access to, which I think is nice because it's sort of, for us data scientists, a way to get paid back, not financially, but paid back for uh you know, the, the fact that we have to deal with these promoted tweets and these ads in the middle of our timeline. Obviously, uh, it's a beautiful blog post in the fact that we have all of the code snippets, which just reading the code underneath all of these charts, I learned uh, some stuff from. So I, I think everybody can potentially get something out of here between the data prep and the visualization code and the HTML that he includes. Um, so a really, really nicely done blog post that I, I certainly encourage everybody to take a look at it's it's great to start off uh, the highlights this week with a strong data viz post the visuals are are amazing here and and like both of you and i were remarking in the little bit of a pre-show here that we both want to take a, a bigger uh, strong look at gg iraf that's be my version of it to supercharge our plots that it can work well for both shiny and outside shiny like in this r markdown or ever perhaps quarter as well so lots of interesting nuggets here in both the visualization and the, the processing, because I know Garrick's had to deal with some really unwieldy data in the past from, in this case, it's Twitter, but I've always had some fun conversation on some of the wrangling adventures he's had in the past. So it's great to learn through his example. And yeah, you'll, you'll want to read this through a couple of times because there's a, there's a lot to unpack here, but it's all very engaging and yeah, his bit of a call to action at the beginning is if you are concerned about the future direction of that said Twitter platform, get your archive now. You never know when you need it. Yes, the blog post, I think first first uh, sentence says, Twitter finds itself in an dot, 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 interesting dot, dot, dot transition period. And I, I couldn't have said it better myself. Very diplomatic way of saying it. So credit to Garrick for, for that uh, great tone there. Yes. And now we're going to transition to another story that admittedly on the surface may not look like a lot, but it could be a very fundamental shift for especially some of us in the life sciences space. The journey I'm about to summarize hopefully will resonate with any of you in our audience trying to bring innovation to legacy processes via open source and in particular R itself. As part of my external collaborations, um, it was about a year and a half ago that I joined a cross pharma industry working group under the R Consortium umbrella 
for those of you that aren't aware, our consortium is based in the Linux Foundation to help provide financial support for our projects that are enhancing the R project itself or enhancing the industry use of R. And it was about a year and a half ago that a work stream for what we call clinical submissions in clinical trials using R was sanctioned. And so I joined that and we've developed multiple pilots to prove out that an R-based analysis result could be delivered to regulators like the FDA using their submission transfer guidelines and system, which I'm about to touch on a little bit here. Now, speaking of regulators like the FDA, but a huge part of this working group has been their participation to knowledge sharing and real-time feedback on our ideas. Without their efforts, we would not have achieved what I'm about to tell you. So that's a real success story here is that this was full cooperation amongst those of us in the pharma space, but also those of us on the other side of the proverbial wall here, the regulator side, which is, I think, kind of like a new trend that we're going to see in this industry going forward. So last year, the working group was successful in transferring our based statistical outputs are commonly referred to as tables, listings, and graphs to the FDA in a mock clinical submission package using um, sanctioned data that was ready for, for mock use. Now, moving to this year, we upped the ante, so to speak, for Pilot 2. Now, Mike, what truly game-changing domain in the R landscape can help us interact and share dynamic summaries on a web-based format? It's got to be shiny, Eric. Yes, it is. And hence, we set out to create what amounts to a relatively simple shiny app that surfaces the outputs of the first pilot in a completely self-contained, reproducible bundle that the FDA reviewers could install and execute on their respective systems, most typically Windows laptops. Now, when you think of a self-contained reproducible bundle in R, I don't know about you, Mike, but when I think of that, immediately what comes to mind are packages. Naturally, I set out to bundle this application into, wait for it, Golem, because once you go Golem, you can never go back. I'm sorry, I couldn't resist. But that's not the full story here. Technically, not just having the app as a package, as a way to kind of set perhaps precedence in the future, we needed a way to convert the source of the app package into literally text files so it could fit within the transfer protocol. This is where it can get really hairy, but this is again, at least a bit of a success story in terms of collaboration. Some very innovative colleagues in pharma have authored what's called the Package Light Package that's been authored by colleagues at Merck, which takes care of taking these R scripts, whether it's in a package or just a folder or whatever have you, transfer them into these text files. We feed it through the transfer protocol, and then this package can then reassemble into real R scripts and a real package structure. Yes, this is what I would consider jumping through a major loophole, but you got to start somewhere. This was quite a learning experience for me, but I'm happy to say that after all of our efforts throughout the year, we had a successful submission of the app to the FDA just recently as November. But I am going to link to the GitHub repository where the app lives 
in which you also find the app itself, which again, nothing fancy, but it was successfully transferred to FDA, hopefully setting precedents that Shiny can be a very valuable part of future submission packages. Shiny already has a major presence for many of us in life sciences because we're ways to interpret analysis results or we're surfacing novel algorithms. And this pilot was a critical first step to making a clinical submission in Shiny technically possible in the current landscape and setting the, setting the seeds, if you will, to even bigger innovations, hopefully next year. So gratifying effort. I will admit it's been a lot of work to get to this point, but we all have to start somewhere. And I'm hoping that the fruits of this labor will be realized, especially next year as this becomes hopefully more routine. Well, Eric, I know this is this is your baby. When you go to the GitHub link uh, and go to the repository, your name is all over it. So just a, a gigantic congratulations to you. It's a great step in the right direction uh, for open source being used in life sciences and you know highly regulated industries such as life sciences where open sources had had trouble gaining footing. Um, and I think this not only, is a, a great accomplishment in the context of what exactly you were trying to accomplish um, with this submission. But I think it's a, a great accomplishment and testimony to where open source, the, the progress that open source has made um, in highly regulated industries. Um, so th this is really, really exciting for me to see, you know, all of our life sciences clients that, that we have at Catchbrook, um, almost all of those projects have been shiny related. So it, that's, that's another really cool thing to see that, that the life sciences space is really strong in their adoption and use uh, and belief in Shiny. So I, I really just hope to see this con continue. I hope that in the future, um, the, so to speak, hoops that you had to jump through to get this um, submitted successfully are less than the number of hoops that you had to to go through for this particular submission and that we can start to see maybe more of a linear path in providing our packages docker containers whatever it may be um, to regulators such as the fda but it's really encouraging to hear as well that it was such a collaborative effort um, between you and the fda and obviously that's what what made it successful but that that sort of tells the story that there is not only buy-in from your side, but there's buy-in on the other side of the table as well. And that's super important, I think, to the success of open source. So kudos, hats off to you, Eric, something to be really, really proud of and hats off to, to everyone involved and everyone that really believes in this effort, I think, of open source and life sciences and, and highly regulated industries, because it's going to it's going to change outcomes. It will. The power that, that we have in the open source ecosystem between R, Python, Julia, whatever you want to call it, um, you, you have the entire open source community working on these problems, which is something that did not exist before. And, and that's that's going to change lives and it's, it's going to change outcomes. I, I really do believe that. Well, that's a very kind words, Mike. And this was certainly yeah, a team effort across the board with my colleagues at, at the various other pharmas like Rosh and, and Merck and everyone else. And then, yeah, FDA had a, a big seat to this table. And yes, next year we have additional pilots in store. And one of them that I'm very interested in, I mentioned it a little bit earlier. Wouldn't it be nice if we could just send these apps as a Docker container or an easy way just to run it with one command? 
That's what we're going to try and do next year. Can't make promises yet, but we already have like the little bit of seeds planted to explore this next year. So stay tuned in this space. It could get even more exciting, technically speaking, too. Now, I don't know about you, but after that, after summarizing that saga, I need a little breather, so to speak. So um, we're going to we're going to have fun with this last highlight. And before I before we get there, yes, the streak is over. Albert did not make the highlights this week, but you know what? I'm sure we'll see him again soon. But in any event, Mike, you're going to take me back to an old game when I was a kid that I played in the playground. How does rock, paper, scissors fit into all this? Well, I I mean, the fact that Albert didn't make the highlights this week might have something to do with the curator. I don't know, Albert. We'll we'll have to talk about that. I'm just kidding. He will be back soon. I have no doubt. But on to our last highlight of scoring rock, paper, scissors. So I shamefully, very shamefully, have not participated in Advent of Code yet. But I do follow along and I love seeing everyone's solutions to these puzzles. And if you don't know about Advent of Code, it's a daily coding puzzle, kind of like Wordle for data scientists, I would say, um, and software engineers. And again, Wordle, shamefully is another one that I don't do. So maybe that's that's why I don't do Advent of Code either. But Advent of Code happens during the month of December. And the other day, the Advent of Code puzzle was to build some sort of a function that scores or, or outputs a win, lose, or draw result, um, given two inputs that, that represent the two players' moves in a game of rock, paper, scissors, right? So the inputs would be Eric gave rock, and Mike gave scissors, right? And they're asking you to provide some sort of function that tells you who wins, um, either Eric or Mike, given those two um, two inputs. So obviously there's only a few different combinations, right? Of, of what could happen during a game of rock, paper, scissors, given that you have two participants and each one has three different options of what they could provide, right? So I think it's nine total if I'm I'm doing nine different combinations total that you need to provide the outcomes for. Um, So Advent of Code gives you the input and they tell you what the output should be. And your job is is to build, again, this thing in the middle that turns the input into the output. So I'm not sure if this is part of the Advent of Code unwritten rules or not, but I feel like most of the solutions I've ever seen to Advent of Code always use base R. They don't import any packages. Um, maybe that's just what I've seen in the past through, through a very small sample size. But um, this is the case in Tristan Marr's blog post that showcases his solution to this rock, paper, scissors, advent of code puzzle from, from day two, I think December 2nd. Um, he provides a really elegant solution uh, involving nested lists, right? So the first level of the list is um, what user one would throw. So, so say rock. And then the second element of the list would be the possible responses from the other uh, participant, from the other player. So it could be either rock, which would result in a draw, scissors, which would result in a win, right? Because rock beats scissors. And then uh, paper, which would result in a loss, right? So you do that for each of the combinations. And you have sort of this nested list that has three tiers at the top. And then underneath each of those individual tiers would be three three uh, tiers of a second list. So my gut, you know, sort of really expected to see per 
package used, but but it wasn't the case, right? This is all base R um, that Tristan used. And it led me to seeing a few base R functions, which I actually hadn't been familiar with. Um, there's a, a function called get element, which seems somewhat equivalent to the pluck function from the per package for extracting an element from a list instead of having to build up the, that bracketed one, one um, to extract the, the first element of, of uh, the, the first list. So really interesting, kind of lighthearted post and really nicely, uh, concisely done um, answer by Tristan to this day two advent of code uh, puzzle that they had. And I don't know, it's just fun for me to kind of do a little brain teaser with R and maybe to get away from your daily grind a little bit and and, uh, to, and exercise some of those other muscles uh, that I think will help you be a, a better R coder in the long run. So I would love to, to I, I'm not making any promises here on the podcast that I can hold myself to, but maybe I'll try to do at least one advent of code puzzle. I, I do have some time freeing up uh, and I'll, I'll let us know on the next podcast episode how that went. All right. Way to hold yourself accountable, buddy. <laughs> um, one thing that I know is, and again, really interesting read of, you know, the power of lists, like lists are kind of like my MVP of objects in the R language. But the elegant thing here is that, especially even now, to some degree, I find myself catching into an if else trap where I do a lot of if else if statements, and that can be pretty unwieldy. So taking advantage of how you can frame the problem differently, like what TJ does here, I think is just a great kind of like meta principle that sometimes if you take a step back before you do like your quote unquote tried and true solution, you might arrive at insights that you didn't think were going to be possible. Now, TJ is already a master of lists. He even references some of the way he uses them in his our markdown compilations with Knitter. Like he's a power user of that. So I definitely lean some insights how I can, you know, make lists even more of an MVP in my in my daily work too. So lots of interesting ideas. And yeah, I can't say that I've had a lot of time for having a code, but maybe I will pick up on that. And there are definitely some really uh, influential members of the R community that, you know, it's kind of like their Super Bowl almost. They wait for this time of year and they crunch away. You often see David Robinson get on top of the leaderboard for submitting his solution quite quickly on the R side of things. And yeah, it's interesting to see the dichotomy or I should say the trend in most of the time, like you said, Mike, these are base R solutions. And maybe that's just because they want to make it as easy as possible for others in the community to run this on their own setups, which again is an admirable thing. But I think also using base R, you know, kind of forces you to to really up your game, so to speak, on programming logic too. Because there are certain things that other packages take away in a good way, I should say, some of the pain points of coding these up in base R. So knowing kind of what's on the inside of those solutions is a is another kind of interesting way to add in a code can challenge us to explore that. So yeah, I had a lot of fun reading TJ's post. So really nicely done. Absolutely. Yeah, I think it's something that I've said once or twice before, but you know, we love the package ecosystem in R, especially that's what makes it so strong. But I think uh, spending some time with what we have available in base R might surprise you. Um, some of the utilities that we do have available in there that you, you may take for granted. 
because we use you know the tidyverse every day that leverages a lot of these base R packages. So I, I think it's um, base R utilities, I should say. So I think uh, I think it's good to have some perspective uh, on both sides of the aisle in terms of the package ecosystem and what comes out of the box uh, within the R install. Yep, and I'll tell you what's not surprising. Well, it's another fantastic issue of our weekly, of course. We got lots of good stuff in here, and I'm not just saying that because I was a curator this week. We always have good stuff here. So we'll take a couple minutes here to share our additional finds here. And this is a bit of a plug going back to some of the life science uh, trend here, but I'm happy to say that after all the editing and crunching and saving video files that I did a few weeks ago, the R Pharma Conference 2022 recordings are now available on YouTube. So you can catch any of the presentations you missed and also highly regarded workshops. To me, you're going to learn so much by watching those workshops. And I'm not just saying that because I did one too. These are really innovative stuff, all from Quarto to using Observable, putting automated testing in your Shiny apps, maybe building production apps too. Um, lots of interesting things here to watch. So definitely check out the playlist that we'll have in the supplements. But in particular, in this issue, we link to Robert Gentleman's keynote. That name should sound familiar. He's a co-founder of R itself. That was a huge achievement for us to have him speak at the conference. So definitely watch his keynote on some of the technical challenges that he's been facing in his research group at Harvard with utilizing R on high dimensional, complicated genetic and bioinformatic data and some of the calls to action that he has where R can really be taken to whole new levels. So even a little bit of the history of R, which I never get tired of hearing. It's always great to hear from the source. So that was an amazing talk. And again, every talk is amazing. So definitely uh, check those videos out. Yes, absolutely. And I will say that I was on hand for the Shiny uh, in production, building production grade Shiny Apps workshop done by Eric. And it is absolutely worth rewatching if you were not there as well. It was phenomenal. But uh, one other video, I guess, that I will call out here is Jacqueline Nolis's, uh lightning talk, I think it's called, from NormConf 2022, which the actual live talks start tomorrow. So very, very exciting. Uh, check out NormConf if you haven't already. But the lightning talks were pre-recorded up on YouTube now. And uh, Jacqueline just does a hilarious, fantastic, relatable uh, video uh, that details her analysis of really uh, taking a look into um, sunset, I believe, and sunrise data in Alaska specifically, and building, trying to build a really nice GG plot, but just seeing all sorts of crazy, wonky things across time zones. And she uses props uh, in the video. It, it's fantastically done. It's only a few minutes long, so I would. I would, uh, if you're looking for something lighthearted, relatable uh, from a data wrangling perspective, I would definitely check out that particular video. A couple others, um, maybe that I'll just highlight really, really fast are a blog post that says, please avoid detect cores in your R packages. Um, I guess the recommendation is to move away from the detect cores function in the parallel package to the available cores function in the parallelly package. Um, so that's a blog post. If you're doing a lot of parallel computing across multiple cores, I would recommend checking out just in case you did not know that that blog post existed. 
And then I'll throw one more out there that uh, the Bayes Serve package, which is Bayesian Survival Regression, um, got an update, I believe. And that is uh, something that I use quite a bit in, in my modeling. So uh, it, it sort of spoke to me. Very good. Yeah, that, I have a, a, a lot of Bayesian statisticians in my group at the day job, and I know they love, love those kind of packages. But yes, Jacqueline's talk. I was rolling after watching that the first time and I had to, I was watching it while my kid was trying to sleep and I admit I had to leave the room because I was laughing out loud. I was like, oh no, I'm going to wake him up. It was hilarious. So Jacqueline and her uh, patented style um, absolutely nails that talk. And as someone who dealt with messy daytime stuff a year and a half ago in my Twitch stream calendar, I can definitely understand <laughs> some of the pain points that she had to deal with on that. So kudos to her for finally figuring it out because that would have taken me probably a year to figure all that stuff out yes yes daytimes not fun nope they're not and time zone conversions are even worse but you didn't hear that from me what you do are going to hear from me is that we always welcome your feedback to the show so you can definitely get in touch with us and get in touch with the our weekly project in multiple ways of course, go to rweekly.org. You're going to find the current issue and all the archive of previous issues, link to all the podcast episodes. And if you want to contribute a poll request, we have a GitHub repo already linked with the upcoming issue draft ready for a little markdown magic coming from you. If you want to share a great blog post, new package, uh, video, anything that is supercharging the R community, we'd love to see it. And if you want to get in touch with us directly, well, our weekly is on Mastodon now. We are at our weekly at fostodon.org if you want to get in touch with us there. And also your friendly hosts here are on Mastodon and Twitter as well. Although maybe I'll be downloading my Twitter archive just in case. But I'm still on there with at the Rcast. And also I'm on Mastodon with at our podcast at podcastindex.social. Mike, where can they find you online? I am still hanging around Twitter at Mike underscore Ketchbrook, K-E-T-C-H-B-R-O-O-K. And I'm also on Mastodon at Mike underscore Thomas at Fossadon.social. You got it. Did I get it this time? You got okay. it. Yes, <laughs> it's coming natural. <laughs> For both of us, it will eventually happen. Yes. <laughs> But yes, please get in touch with us. We love hearing from you. Um, all feedback is welcome. And if you want to have a little fun in your little podcast playing device, you can get yourself a new podcast app at newpodcastapps.com and give us a little boost to show your love for the show. More details on that in the supplements of the show notes. Well, with that, my voice finally lasted this long. I better quit while I'm ahead, so to speak. We're going to close up shop of our weekly highlights, episode 104. And we'll be back with another episode either next week or soon. Stay tuned.